how can you inspire your team to greater heights? The short answer is to be a more effective leader who knows how to inspire the best in people. But what motivates one person doesn't always inspire the next. Enter personality assessments. In today's episode, we explore how personality assessments help you hire better, become a better leader, and support you to reach your business goals faster. Welcome to the Small But Mighty Agency Podcast. If you're a creative consultant or agency owner who wants to know what the roller coaster ride really looks like to grow your business from one to many, you're in the right place. My guest and I pull back the curtains on the realities of growing and running agencies of different sizes and what it takes to build a team. And if you're anything like me, you want more than the highlight reel. You want to learn from the mistakes of others so that you can stop short of making the same mistakes. I'm your host, Audrey Joy Kwan. I spend my days as a coach and consultant to multiple six and seven figure agency owners. For the last seven years, I've been behind the scenes helping people grow, lead and operate small but mighty agencies. Here at the Small But Mighty Agency podcast, we'll uncover what works and equally as important what didn't work to get these business owners to where they are today. Hey there, welcome back to the Small But Mighty Agency podcast. We have a special episode today about using assessments to be a more impactful leader in your business. Before we get into all the details, let me introduce Kara. She's the CEO of People Core, an organization that focuses on employee development, engagement, and customized training solutions. Kara, let's jump in. Why use assessments for hiring in your business? Assessments in general, they are diagnostic in that they give us, you know, and they enlighten us on people's behavioral styles and their tendencies and their preferences. And when you strengthen the relationship, you get better results. <laughs> if you strengthen the operations, you get better teamwork. So, you know, coming at it uh, from an assessment's perspective, the information that's given to them, that data can be used in a variety of other ways. How do you use assessments to support business growth and team member collaboration? Okay, so there's a variety of assessments out there. For example, Myers-Briggs, DISC uh, is a really popular one as well. And they are really used by organizations to build stronger, safer, more efficient and effective workplaces. And so that could mean something from, you know, increasing collaboration and teamwork, maybe that there is internal conflict and issues that they want to address and improve. Maybe it's a way they want to better retain employees and improve their recruitment processes. And so lots of different ways that it can be, uh, they can be used and applied within a work context. Tell me why people come to you for assessments and what challenges are they facing? I would say predominantly workplace relationships. And so this becomes really important to them when they start losing employees. And so within one team, they note they start to notice or there's a flag that's being raised when there's a lot of people leaving. Uh, and the managers typically have an understanding that, you know what, there's a couple of people on this team that are harder to work with based on the feedback that they get from exit interviews. So that triggers them to say, okay, we've got to do something to better solidify this team, to increase collaboration. How do we get people to 
self-explore and and learn about themselves to realize what how they're acting and how it may appear to others but also how do we get the team to better understand each other and to build the tools and the processes that they need to work better together so that's typically how people will find us and come to us uh, from that starting point the conversation about the retention of great people and attracting talent in agency is a hot topic right now i think for any organization that wants to stay competitive, it should always be a hot topic. And if you're hiring for a really strategic position, leadership position, or a team who really needs a specific skill set to achieve a certain project result, then you know you can really leverage the assessment data to hire that person who's the best culture fit, who has the best skill set to complement other people on that team. And so it can be used really to help uh, you hire more effectively and efficiently someone who will then stay longer, you know, have a better working relationship. And then above and beyond that too, part of the onboarding process. So if you don't use it as a tool to find the right person, you can sure use it to incorporate that person into the team more effectively. So team members learn about the new person, the new person learns about team members. And really it starts people off at a really great place as a new employee coming in. It gives them that power. I love that you're bringing into the conversation how assessments improve the hiring process. The assessment tools steer you away from hiring blindly and give you insight into things you wouldn't be able to uncover otherwise. A common question I get is, how do I make sure I'm hiring the right person? And my answer is that there are no guarantees. Exactly. But we can layer in these tools to help us make better decisions about the hire. What are your thoughts on when to use an assessment during the hiring process? It depends on the role. If you are, for, for me, if I'm thinking you're hiring a really critical role where the the, res- the roles and responsibilities of that individual would be quite significant on the business impact, if the turnover of that employee would be very significant from a cost perspective, losing them and finding someone else, or if there's real competition for that role, meaning you're going to have a very hard time finding someone to replace I would say the assessments would come front and center, meaning that once you have, you've got your short list of candidates, you would include that as part of the recruitment process at that point. Certainly, you wouldn't want to do a DISC assessment for 2,000 people that applied for a role, for example, but someone in a leadership position where you may headhunt or find five excellent candidates, it certainly adds depth and perspective to your candidate pool and gives you a whole other dynamic and a whole other set of data that you would never have uh, as part of that recruitment process. 100% agree. Your leadership team is a significant investment because they support steering your organization in the right direction, which makes investing resources like assessments worthwhile. The turnover of a leadership role can create a lot of stress on a growing business. The extra time you spend on due diligence can save you a lot of headaches later on. It also can really be a competitive advantage for organizations in these roles where they're highly competitive my bet is that a lot of these candidates would not have experienced that type of assessment as part of the recruitment process. And in these days where it is an employee market, you want to be able to showcase yourself and your employer brand as something that is dedicated to the employee experience, 
you're cognizant and you're mindful of that the recruitment process and being part of an organization and a team goes beyond what's written on your resume and your your skill set that you've identified. And so if I was a candidate coming in and they said, you know what, it's really important to us you know, that we go above and beyond to understand you in more depth, to see if you're a culture fit for us. Here's a disc assessment. I'm going to go home and think about all my interviews and think, holy man, this organization really knocked it out of the park. Like I haven't had this opportunity to do this before. I've learned something new about myself with these results and how excited I am now to wonder what else is in store for me if I'm hired on with this organization. I want to spend some time on the topic of being an employee market right now. For those who might not know what that means, can you tell us more? Yeah, well, similar to the housing market, you know, it's either a buyer's market or a seller's market. So (laughs) right now, as you know, uh, it's a buyer's market or sorry, it's a seller's market. So there's, you know, the people selling the houses, the people who own the organizations, they would have the power to decide. They'd be able to pick and choose. They can raise their price or lower their price, take benefits away, add benefits. But coming into this post-COVID era, as everyone has heard, the great resignation, all of these terms that are coming with it, employees are no longer satisfied with the absolute basics that organizations have to offer. And we've all learned about the working from home and, you know, remote and, and all of these things. But truly, this generation of workers wants more, expects more. Money is not a sole motivator anymore. They're looking for employee employers who are committed to professional development, that are offering training opportunities, that are clear in their career pathways. Uh, and so you have to step up. Organizations absolutely have to meet employees where they're at, or no one is going to stay with you if you can get people to even apply. And that's what I mean by an an employee's uh, market right now. I love how potential new hires can perceive assessments as extra care taken on their behalf for culture fit. Mm -hmm. During my career working in agencies and then client side, culture fit is what I yearn for. We want to belong to a community of people who get us. And imagine if you were applying for an organization and the onboarding process is the most stressful part. Everyone goes through moments of imposter syndrome or, you know, am I going to be able to to do what I, you know, have set out to do? And how did my previous organization compared to this? What if it's way more higher caliber in this new place? Now imagine even before you started on day one, you had your team dashboard that showed all of your coworkers' disc score, your own disc score, and you could go in one by one to your colleagues and compare yourself to everyone there. If I went in on day one and did that, I would feel so much more comfortable and more confident that I had that baseline understanding of my team dynamics than just going in cold. I know your expertise is in the disassessment. Before we go into details on that, I want to know from your perspective, when should we not use assessments? Yes. Well, as a fix-all solution, uh, you should never go in wanting it to be a one and done (laughs) and not expect that there's going to be some level of commitment, transparency, and work post-assessment. It's not a band-aid solution. And so if you're not committed, if it's not part of a larger strategy, or if you don't have the support from your leadership team or your HR team, you're going to have problems. Thanks for sharing that. It's important to note that an assessment is a tool, not the solution if your organization is having a retention challenge. Mm -hmm. 
100%. And that's why products like DISC, they are accompanied by training. And so it's not just the assessment on the on its own and then goodbye. It's the assessment plus. It's the assessment plus training. It's the assessment plus the online team dashboard. It's the assessment plus an action plan and a follow a post follow-up. And these are all meant so that that those learnings from the assessment aren't lost in individual interpretation and that it's not just a band-aid one and done and then forgotten and put in someone's filing cabinet never to be spoken to, you know, about again. Did you know that I have a coaching program called the Mighty Pod Model? In the High Touch program, we help our clients go from solopreneur to an agency owner so they can gain more freedom by having a service business where client work isn't dependent on them to scale. Maybe you started as a solopreneur with zero people in your business. Eventually, you bring in an assistant and contractors, but you continue to hold on to the strategy and direct communication with your clients. Before you know it, you're at capacity. So what happens if you want to grow bigger? Meet the Mighty Pod model. The Mighty Pod model isn't just a business model. It's a high-touch coaching program that helps you go from solopreneur to agency owner with a profitable, streamlined, and strategic roadmap. If you're feeling like the bottleneck in your business, download our free Mighty Pod Model Cheat Sheet. Go to AudreyJoyQuan.com forward slash free resources. That's A-U-D-R-E-Y-J-O-Y-K-W-A-N.com forward slash free resources or click the link in the show notes right there in your podcast app to get the free mighty pod model cheat sheet back to the show let's dive into the dis assessment i know that's your area of assessment expertise what is the dis assessment yeah so the the disc assessment really is a, a personal experience. It's a personal development experience. And it really measures everyone's individual preferences and tendencies based on that DISC model. And that's just a fancy way of saying they ask you a, a, a bunch of questions to determine where you, you fit as far as uh, frequency and consistency of certain behaviors to identify your preferences and your tendencies, whether you're conscious of them or not. And it maps that out and places you on a, a dot and within a spectrum, which is a mix of all four. We're not just one. We may have a primary and a secondary style or, or point place on the disk map, but all of us will have shading across all four quadrants of that disk map. You mentioned that there are four quadrants in a disk map. Tell us what the quadrants are and how the quadrants help us understand ourselves. Actually, I'll take one step even earlier than that. And really, there are two dimensions that DISC looks at as far as uh, human behavior. And so at its core, it's two-dimensional. And they really reflect the fundamental aspects of human nature that can be viewed as independent kind of constructs. So the first one really is fast-paced and outspoken, or cautious and reflective. This is the easiest way for you to identify where you are. Are you fast-paced and outspoken, or are you cautious and reflective? If you think of that as a continuum, where are you on that? The second one is questioning and skeptical, or accepting and warm. So again, you take that and, and 
map yourself on that continuum. And that's it. Those are the two dimensions. And from that, when they overlap, so a vertical and the horizontal dimension, that gives us our four quadrants. So dominant style is your D. I is influence. S is steadiness. And C is conscientiousness. And so if you are a D style, you would have selected fast paced and outspoken and also questioning and skeptical. If you were an S style, you would have selected cautious and reflective and accepting and warm. And so just by asking yourself those two questions, you can, in general, place yourself in in a quadrant just on guessing alone, which is how we start out our training is really, you know, stand on where you think this continuum line is, self-identify. Let's use a concrete example. I did the disassessment and I lead with the I. From our conversation before we jumped into recording, I know that you lead with the D. How can these two different types work together more effectively? Good, good question. So the main difference between the D and the I, we know that they're both fast paced. And so where D's and I's get along really, really well is their nature to move things along quickly. So they want things to get going, to get moving. So in a workplace, you'd have D's and I's on board with moving things forward quite quickly. They wouldn't get caught up in the weeds of all of the details or worry too much necessarily about tiny minuscule data points. They, they just want to get going. Where the conflict arises is eyes are very, very focused on relationships and collaboration. D's, not so much. <laughs> They're focused on the facts. They're focused on results, even if it's at the impact of relationships. So where D's have to take a moment and realize that other people need, need attention, need care, need nurturing, you have to invest in people in a relationship way in order to gain trust and be able to work together. Eyes are already there. Eyes are there, <laughs> but almost too much. So eyes are optimistic and, and praise are their two most overused qualities. And so where the eyes are deeply invested in the, the group harmony and making sure everyone's on board and everyone's feeling great, the Ds aren't caring at all. <laughs> necessarily. Not at all, because of course, we're a blend of all four styles, but significantly less. It wouldn't be the first thing. And when we talk about these behavioral pieces for each one, again, you know, it's, this is what, how we would act the, in the most natural way. So as a D, speaking for myself, that is totally true. Does it mean that I can't focus on social interactions and relationships? Of course I can. In fact, I'm even good at it. But for me, it's a stretch for me to be able to live in that space. So if I was in a role that required me to eight hours a day interact and collaborate and make sure that there's harmony and group cohesion and collaboration, my bucket would be much emptier than you would be, because that would come uh, more naturally from you. And that's really how we leverage this information. It's not that I can't do it. It's not that I'm not good at it. And for you, the, the same, 
It's just if we're looking from an energy perspective and where to best leverage my strengths, I would leverage you, Audrey, to manage those meetings and to get people pumped and get people involved because for you, it's more natural, comes to you more naturally. The gift of doing assessments are the insights we gain about our natural tendencies and how we communicate and work. And when we come from that place of understanding, being on a team is easier. What's interesting to me is that if your assessment shows you are inclined to work or communicate in one way, that doesn't mean you can't perform or even be great in the other quadrants. It just means it drains you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would take a lot more energy. And so, you know, for example, if I, the, the, they say, uh, stereotypically, a D, Ds end up being in more leadership or manage, managerial roles. And, and the reason for that is they're very straight and very direct with the way that they communicate, which in our world equates to, you know, being, having confidence. So I have confidence. I I can articulate my needs. I can move things forward. Those are de-prominent traits. Now, am I saying that every leader or every manager has to be have those traits in order to be a leader? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. That is not going to be the best fit necessarily for a team of eyes, for example, because that type of communication is ineffective if that person is doesn't have that self-awareness to, to know. And so it's not that one style is better than the other in any given role. What's important is that the person understands where they sit, where their preferences are, and then can leverage their team effectively to balance out that the efforts. And so for me to work best with you, Audrey, I need to be aware that for you, rejection and not being heard are your two biggest fears. Well, if for me being a D, I am, they're super direct, very, very direct. And they don't take the time to think about the impact of their words. Well, that is a natural disaster waiting to happen. And, and often that's a friction point between left side of the disc map and the right side, which are warm and accepting because their front of thought is on relationships, right? And, and the impact their words could have. That's a great example. Okay. Everyone on the team has an assessment. What are the next steps to facilitate the team to have transparent conversations? So step one is to, you know, deep dive into your own personal results, looking at your strengths and your weaknesses, your preferences, some of your blind spots, how you like to be communicated to, how you communicate to others, etc. It's really that self-awareness and self-exploration. Step two is looking at others on your team. And so really understanding where other people sit on the map, where your team as holistically sits, and then being able to dissect the similarities and differences between you and other members of your team. The third thing then is what is the consequences or what are the results of these strengths and weaknesses in comparison to others? And so once we know what my preferences are, what my areas of growth are, what Bob and Margaret and Farhan and and Susan, all of theirs are, how can I modify my behavior to meet them halfway? So what does Farhan need from me in a project together? What can I do to modify my behavior to make him feel more accepted, more listened to, more comfortable uh, working with me? And then Farhan would do the exact same. Look at me and say, wow, okay, this is what I, this is how I show up. 
I know this about myself. This is how I can show up to make Kara more comfortable and feel more welcomed and more invited in our team environment. So it's really taking what you know about yourself, taking what you know about others, and being able to understand how you can best show up for that person uh, in the workplace. What stands out to me is how assessment tools give people on a team a foundational understanding of behavior. It demystifies why someone might do things differently and generates more empathy for each other. A hundred percent. And then the very last step is an action plan where you literally decide how you are going to apply a certain step that you've learned about yourself. And it's a five, it's an actual action plan with five steps. We fill it out and then they take it away. And then your manager can use it or follow up three months later and see how you've actioned your commitment to a certain change or implementation of what you've learned. So it's, it's quite an effective process. And then on top of that catalyst platform, so having your team platform that you can log into and I can click on Farhan and it shows a whole compare and contrast of all of, of how we work together. Man, what a tool. Kara, before we wrap up here, what motivates you and keeps you inspired? Oh, my family. Uh, we have a blended family with four kids. Kids, you know, just their view of the world and seeing them experience things for the first time. You know, we love sports. So we go to hockey games, we go to football games. Uh, you know, that really keeps me at my best is, uh, is knowing that I can, you know, do stuff, you know, with them. And then reading and learning. And, you know, it's my hobby and my passion as well as uh, my job. And so I'm constantly reading and researching and learning and, and uh, it just sets my whole soul on fire. And so where can we find you online? Yeah, so peoplecore.ca. We have an extensive list of all of our services uh, on there. And you can uh, email me at Kara, C-A-R-A, at peoplecore.ca. And it's as easy as that. Thank you for being here, Kara. Thank you so much for having me. Hey there, thanks for hanging out with me at the Small But Mighty Agency podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you hit the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app and share it with a friend. I'll see you on the next one.